Hello, and welcome back to the You Show Show. It is the show where you show things. I am Kelvin Lazy McMurray, and today I am joined by my very, 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 very good friend, Matthew Hardy. Matthew, hello and welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, homie. Matthew, uh, Matthew, Matthew, you are a friend that we haven't seen each other we were just talking about this since like November, December of like 2006. Uh, but yet I still very much consider you to be a good friend and I'm very, very excited to have you on the show today. So thank you for being here, dude. Yeah, this is such a treat. It's like so strange to think that we haven't talked in so long. It's so easy to pick up with just all things we love and share. Yeah. And here so we are. It's like having missed a beat. Yeah. No, I really don't think, I really don't think so. And, uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but I still I still talk about you a lot to this day, and uh, it's it's funny. And speaking of that, um, a lot of my a lot of my friends and a lot of people that know me have always uh, I don't know what the phrase is they've always like picked on me. They've made fun of me for talking about Radiohead too much, and, <laughs> and by too much I mean like a lot. Like I bring up Radiohead a lot. Like any movie or TV show if a Radiohead song comes out, I'm like, oh, that's Radiohead, and then I name the song and. <laughs> And then I'll start going into a description about like the history of the song and where it comes from. And everyone's like, dude, shut the fuck up and let's just watch the movie. Uh, so anyone that's ever had a complaint about me talking about radio too much, you can send them to Matthew uh, at, at matthew.canada.gov. Um, please send all your complaints to Matthew because this is the person who introduced me to Radiohead back in 2005. Uh, I take no responsibility for misuse of Radiohead media. <laughs> you take all the responsibility, uh, all of it to the end of time. Yeah, no, it's all your fault because I remember I was getting into electronic music at that point. Uh, we were living in Vancouver, BC, Canada. We were going to film school. Uh, you were in the like audio recording, audio editing, whatever. Sound design for visual media. Thank you. That's the better term yeah. for it. Uh, and then I was in 3D animation visual effects and we met. And yeah, I was getting into electronic music and I was like... I was obsessed with Aphex Twin at the time. And uh, and then you were like, oh, if you like Radiohead, obviously, like, you were like, obviously, you must love Radiohead. And I was like, I've heard of them. And you were like, fucking what? And I was like, what? And you were like, here. And you burned me a CD. Uh, there might be some kids listening to this that don't know what a burnt CD is. It was this thing. Oh, man. Had, yeah, back in I the day. I barely remember what they were. It's hard to believe it was a thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you put a blank CD in your CD drive. <laughs> It burnt me. Uh, it was uh, it was Kid A. That was the first album, and that is still to this day my favorite album of Radiohead till the end of time. So I don't know if you have a. Are you still into Radiohead or have you? Yeah, still into Radiohead. I, I go through a phase around this time every single year. It hasn't kicked in quite yet, but uh, it it always goes back between uh, between Kid A and OK Computer for me. And then it was like uh, a couple of years ago they did that re-release of OK Computer, and that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then. Uh, then I got into a lot of like the albums that I haven't didn't spend a lot of time with, like Hail to the Thief, and uh, um, there was one other one in there I can't think of at the moment. But I, I didn't spend a lot of time with those ones back in the day, and uh, there's so much good stuff in there. Yeah, I um I will I will always I'm always listening to them in some capacity. I would say there isn't one week that goes by that I don't listen to some capacity of them. But I would say about every like every six months, I'll just run through their entire discography. Like you just pull up a huge long queue and just click play and go right through it. But, um, but anyway, enough about Radiohead. I'm afraid that if we'll keep talking until the end of time about this. Um, but yeah, we met, we met in 2005, we met in a bus stop, uh, right outside the Vancouver film school. And that was on what, well, that was the, right at the Burrard street bridge. Yeah. Right at Burrard and uh, Pacific. It was probably raining. 
Uh, probably. Actually, no, I'm Much like it is. Wasn't that's amazing? Yeah, the one right day. Now, we're we're in a, currently in Vancouver. We're in a a stretch of six inches of rain. It's been raining nonstop <laughs> for three days, and like not like just drizzle, just like straight up rain. Well, and it's always funny too, like talking to people, like because you know I'm from Wisconsin, and like our winters are super harsh there, like fucking cold, and uh, and so people always say that when they say like, oh, I used to live in Vancouver, BC, Canada. They're like, oh, it must have been even colder up there. And I was like, nah. I'm like, you get like three months of beautiful weather and then it just rains every single day for like nine months. And that's pretty much the entire year. Um, and yeah, Vancouver is a beautiful city. We were talking about that too. I got to live there for a year. If you've never gone, go. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's got like, the thing that I always say about Vancouver is it's like, it's got, it's got like a little bit of everything for everyone. Like there's hiking, there's art, there's music, there's clubs, there's movie theaters, there's great movie food. making, great food, like great culture. There's like a really great combination some of, the, of like some of the last remaining, some of the last remaining wild, like really wild places in Canada, in North yeah, America. Yeah, it's so. beautiful. I, I, and we were talking too. I, I definitely, I need to go back because it's been far too long. But, um, but yeah, let's use let's let's use gravity. <laughs> Go back in time and send ourselves some messages. Yeah, it was 2005, and V for Vendetta had come out, and I don't know why. I still, to this day, I don't know why. I was sitting at that bus stop right across the street from the school, and yeah, you came out, and I think you just said, hey, and I'm sure we must have seen each other in the hallways at the school, because you were like, the the audio program was like a floor underneath us, and... um, you guys were in the ant farm, or was that what it was called, the ant farm? The ant farm, or like the render farm, yeah, 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 yeah. and... um, yeah, you came out, and I remember, I remember clear as fucking day. You had this really cool red stripe in your hair. It was so fucking cool. It was like this, like dark amber, and it was only like in like one or two spots. It wasn't your whole head. It was like really cool. It was really striped. And you came out, and you were like, "What's up, dude?" And I was like, "What's up, dude?" And uh, <laughs> and then we talked about V for Vendetta because I think it had like just come out fairly recently, and we ended up talking about it. And I think we ended up talking about it. And I remember, I think I even like pulled a Forrest Gump and like skipped a bus so I could keep talking longer. And uh, yeah, we talked about V for Vendetta and we both liked it. And I remember we talked about the, the only thing that we didn't like in the movie was like the end action sequence. Cause it just didn't really fit in with everything else. But beyond that, I remember we both really liked the movie. Uh, and then, yeah, we became really good friends. I got to celebrate uh, a Canadian Thanksgiving with you. We went out to a, we went to a restaurant because none of our family was in this city. <laughs> the Thanksgiving uh, orphans. Yep. And yeah, we went out and uh, I remember you once tricked me to go see the Saw 3 marathon. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I was just thinking of that now. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of film. That was so Matthew calls me. It was like a Thursday night. You called me at like six o'clock and you were like, What are you doing? And I was like, Nothing. And you were like, Get to the movie theater. I think it was, yeah, at eight o'clock. This is actual, night. this is actual Halloween, right? I don't know if it was Halloween. I think it was because it was like a, th- I swear to God, it was like a Thursday night. And because uh, the movie came out on Friday, that's where they did the midnight release. So yeah, you called me at like, it was like, You were like, Get to this movie theater by eight o'clock. I already bought your ticket. And I'm like, what are we seeing? And you were like, if I tell you, you're not going to come. <laughs> so I get there. 
And uh, yeah, you're like, here's your ticket. And I was like, it says mid- the midnight premiere of Saw 3. I was like, first of all, why did you make me come here at 8 o'clock? The movie's not until midnight. And number two, I haven't even seen the first two Saw movies. And you were like, well, good news. They're going to play Saw 1, Saw 2, and then Saw 3. So we fucking watched six hours of Saw movies. I was so desensitized to violence by the end of it that like... You could have shown me any photograph, <laughs> any gruesome photograph in this whole world, and it would have meant like nothing to me at that point. And I remember I had that, I had that, I had that slushy cup that had the Kool Aid Man symbol on it. And in the third movie, I kept holding my cup up in the air, and I was going, "Oh yeah!" And you were like, "Dude, shut the fuck up! You're gonna get kicked out." And I was like, "I don't give a fuck! I can't handle this anymore!" Like. <laughs> Oh my god, dude. And I think we had Burger King at the intermission and we both just felt so ill. Oh, dude, and like, especially the third one, there's like pig intestines being sprayed on a guy and like ankles getting twisted around. Oh, dude, it was so gross. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, man, we went on a lot of adventures. And then I remember actually, so I got a, I got a, I had gotten a letter from the Canadian government. It was the nicest government letter I've ever gotten in my entire life. And it was like, we're really sorry, but like your visa is expiring and we'd love for you to stay, but like legally you have to go home now. And that's what I had to move back. And I remember you and I were like, let's just go get married so you can stay longer. <laughs> and, uh, and that was, that was you, Matthew. You were like, dude, just marry me so you can stay in Vancouver and we can keep this train going for a little bit longer. So, <laughs> but, uh, I got, I got to admit you were like, cause I was just as new to Vancouver as you were at the time. And, uh, you were like my first, like, solid friend in the city and i remember that like quite distinctly yeah and like you made that you made that first year a lot more uh, a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable and it was and definitely when we're both going through the pain of our respective programs and long nights and complaining about our our colleagues and classmates and uh provided endless hours of relief and entertainment and laughing at the expense of others <laughs> insane it was you know, for me, I was 18 years old. I mean, that's fucking crazy. I was 18 years old. My mom put me in a car and drove me to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and then dropped me off and was like, bye. I'm going back to a different country. Uh, you still weren't even old enough to drink here. That's funny. I know. But there was like, that was my favorite thing about the Canadian bars. Uh, they were like, you like you look. They never, I, they never ID'd me. And then even if they did, I don't know if they never cared, but they let me in. I have no idea. Because the drinking age is 20? uh 19 19 yeah so i was 18 but yeah i was going into bars and then um but yeah we got to be we got to be friends in a new city together and i always 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 remember that time fondly and it meant a lot to me and so that's why talking to you today is just like man i'm like i'm like 18 all over again here we go and um <laughs> and so yeah it's good to, it's good to have you on so thank you again for being here my friend and um, my pleasure so uh today uh, we're going to be talking about some movies, uh, only fitting is how we are both graduates of film school, and here we are today talking about Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Fuck yeah, it's a great film. So, whole wide universe why why did we go with this film it's i gotta admit it's my favorite film and it's uh 
I probably there was a point in my life during architecture school when it came out. What year did it come out? Twenty fourteen, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when it when it came, there was a point in my life where I probably watched it at least once a month for, <laughs> for probably a year and a half or two years, and I still probably watch it twice a year now to this day. It's a, uh, I know it's it's got this this blend of cinematography or filmmaking to it that I find really easy to watch when I don't know what to watch. Like it's it's got. Uh, I love space and science and like, I'm always fascinated by what's going on beyond the limits of the earth. And I find that interstellar has just this right balance of like optimism and like really, and pertinent crises that we're currently facing. And I know it's got a love story. It's got a science element. And then there's actually some, like, there's a bit more, a few personal elements that are close to home, literally close to home for me that I'm excited to share. But, uh, I gotta be honest. The first time I watched the film, I hated it. <laughs> really? Okay. Did you really quick? Did you were you able to see it in theaters? I was able to see it in theaters, and I saw it. Uh, I remember it was in. I was in my second sem- second or third semester of architecture school, and I had been looking forward to this film for so long. And I remember taking the night off explicitly to watch it, and uh, with one of my friends, and it was a. Uh, it was just so nice to escape from, the turmoil of. Of, of graduate school into something that was like world building and like in challenging and, and really exciting. I did not, I was not able to see this in theaters. Um, I don't know if I told you this. I, so I lived in Saudi Arabia for a year. I don't know. No, you did not tell me that. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> um, crazy. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I lived in Saudi Arabia for a year. Um, it's a funny long story that I'll get into another time. But yeah, I lived in I lived in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and they had movies there, but they were very select and few. And so Interstellar came out when I was living in Saudi Arabia. So I did not get to see this movie in theaters, and still to this day that bums me out. Like I'm I've always kind of secretly hoped that they would kind of re-release it in like an IMAX format, just you know, maybe like a limited release sort of a thing. Um Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I did not get to see this in theaters. But I remember as soon as it came out <clears throat> on, you know, like uh, home purchase, I bought it right away and I watched it. On, I watched it on my laptop, which was the best thing I had at the time. And this is not a film to be enjoyed on the first time in your laptop, but it was literally the no. best I had. But uh, yeah, I too, I, I became obsessed with this film as well when it came out. I watched it like back to back to back to back to back and uh i loved it i this is a very good movie and like you said the way it's shot and the way that it's the way that it's told if you search throughout like film history you can it very much wears its inspiration on its sleeve which is totally fine i don't think there's anything ever wrong with the film to do that but it's still unique and original in its own way and um yeah it's it's beautiful um I don't know about you, but I think personally, uh, one thing I'll mention right away is the the soundtrack for this film is yes, it's probably and not probably it is it is my favorite film soundtrack of all time. Like absolutely.
I'll do like some writing every now and then, of like personally. And every time I write, every time, 100% of the time, it, that's the album that I'm playing. It's just, it's just got this, the feels of like this beautiful blend of, it's got like the cathedral noises mixed with like futuristic electronic and Hans Zimmer just like magically combines them together in a way that makes sense. And it's just like, oh, you just get goosebumps like every yeah. time you listen to it. And it was really out of form for him. It was like really kind of an atypical composition and score for him. Mm-hmm. It was something totally new. Because like I always contrast it with like the theme song for Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's like the complete opposite of that. Yep. Or like um, Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to kind of think that, yeah. He, and I, one thing about him is he does... In a lot of his Christopher Nolan films, it's very electronic forward. But then again, by having these like church organs that you can hear that are like right in the front row of the music is awesome because there is a little bit of spirituality in this film more so in the line of you know love and like the 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 threads and the connections that love can create um and i think that like that yeah that that organ is just perfect for this film it fits in so well and it helps really tie the themes together um well, the brilliant thing about it too is that like it's not just a score to a film because his compositions like actually lend themselves to the story and the intensity because you yeah. always you always hear a clock ticking in there in some in some way and it's uh, I mean the whole film is like bound up in time and space and that using the the clock is like a me- as a mechanism to up the stakes the entire time just both contributes to the storytelling and to like just the general experience of the film. Yeah, there's. Um... There and I'm sure you know this. There is uh, when they land on the water planet, Miller's planet. Um, uh, you can hear. I think it's just two. Like I forget. What, I think they have an official name, but it's like two empty, hollow pieces of wood, and they're just tapping together. Tap. And the way that they did it uh, in the music creation is that it's every single second you hear that tap, and it's this like because when they're on the planet, obviously as you know, it's like every seven. What is every one hour equals seven years? It's like seven years or something. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like when you're using time as like an element of storytelling, every second is important and you're just hearing it nonstop and already what is a pretty suspenseful situation. And that's another thing this film does really well is like the usage of, of time and the passage of time is done very uniquely in this film. Um, and so, yeah, again, in the music, yeah, you just hear this, this, this wooden click every second. So it's just like, oh, fuck, that was another month. That was whatever. I don't know the math off the top of my head, but uh, it's just every click. It's just like you can just tell this is getting worse and worse and worse by the minute. So what are you waiting for? Let's go. Go, 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 go. Seven years per hour here. Let's make it count. I want to go back to kind of thing. I initially like hated the film, and I, I wouldn't have come back to the film as, if it wasn't for the score. It was one hundred. It was one hundred percent because the score of that film 
lingered with me long after I had left the theater. And that was what initially took me back to it. And I, I noticed that, like, um, well, I guess, what did you, I guess, let's talk about, like, what, why didn't you like it the first time? Because I loved it the first time I watched it. But I'm just curious, what was it that you just didn't didn't strike a chord with you right away? Well, if anybody hasn't seen seen the film, like, the first thing is, like, the Matt, <laughs> I'm going to spoiler alert, yeah. is, uh, Matt Damon has a surprise cameo. Yes. And, and I always find Matt Damon really funny because he's, like, He's a great actor and he's been in some like excellent films, but there's just something that's just so like grating about him surprised being a random cameo in this film that just graded me the wrong way. Yeah. And he's such an unlikable character in this film too. It's just like I think that probably adds to it more. It was but, a bit of a weird choice. I remember the first time too, because they spent a ton of money to keep that a secret. Like he like he they had to like I think they had to like pay him extra so he wasn't credited right away until the film was released. Um, like on like IMDb and places similar to that, yeah. they spent a ton of time and energy to keep it a secret. And it's actually funny because um, in the meeting room back on Earth, when Matthew McConaughey is talking to Dr. Brandt, he sh- there's the photos of the astronauts that go into space. And they don't show his face. Yeah. They don't show his face. They even point to his picture, but they don't show the picture. And so it's kind of funny that they kept it. And I remember you know, the first time watching it too, I was like, all right, like it's Matt Damon, you know? Yeah, it's I don't know. It's he's a good actor and I like him, but I don't. When you say science fiction, I just don't think Matt Damon is like my first pick of who would come into mind. You know what I mean? Like, no, I thought that. But was, he did great in The Martian too, and I just like I mean, he was perfectly likable in The Martian. I was like, thought he's so he, he had some credit to him, but yeah, he's like kind of like a snarky, like a little yeah. smartass, and he, yeah, he was he was good in that. Um, I saw uh, I saw a thing on the internet a while ago, and it was like it was talking about Interstellar, The Martian, and Saving Private Ryan, and it was like the U.S. government has spent like two point four trillion dollars on like saving Matt Damon in movies, <laughs> 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 which is kind of funny, but um, but yeah, I I loved it because I I think that there is something. The main thing about this movie that I really like is like really, really, really to appreciate it. You do need to watch it a couple of times. And there, there are people in this world that like watch a movie once and they're done. And I, I understand that because it's like, you know, I want to watch new things. I've already seen it. Why would I go back? And this film, uh, even again, re, re, recently rewatching it, you know, for, for recording today, it still holds up and it's still a great film to rewatch and to kind of think about like, something new every time you watch it you'll find something new every single time and and that i really appreciate um but yeah like what are some like what are some themes and what are some things that like stand out that make this film special then for you uh like well one thing that i really appreciate is a uh, is christopher uh, i'm from um, a province in canada called alberta and i'm from a little town a little city called leftbridge it's a hundred thousand people about an hour from the montana border and the earth scenes in interstellar were filmed half an hour outside of lethbridge in a just in a town called fort mcleod so the main street when you're on earth when characters are on earth through the dust storms those are all like the main street of historical main street in a town called fort mcleod and uh christopher nolan i remember like before i knew that um that uh the film was going to be interstellar i remember them a big hollywood production coming and doing uh, casting calls in Alberta at one of the hotels near our house. And obviously I never went, but then uh, I saw the film and I was like, I know all these places. 
And uh, I mean, um, the new Ghostbusters film is filmed in the same town. And uh, anyway, Brokeback Mountain, which was, I think was, was supposed to be in Wyoming, was also filmed just outside the hometown. So I come from a place that has like a, don't know not many people have been to where I am or have maybe heard of it. Like they've almost certainly seen it on TV at some point or another. Huh. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because I know too, um, like Christopher Nolan and the film production company, they hired farmers in the area to grow all the corn um, just so that they could film it and own it and not have to worry about interfering with like a farmer's life. They just they just bought it because, you know, they, like in the movie, they're driving trucks through it. There's scenes where, you know, it's on fire and they're they're filming inside of it. And then that way they didn't have to worry about the crops. And that's pretty fucking crazy if you ask me that they were like, here, go grow us X amount of acres of corn to make this movie, which is like funny too, because I'm sure they had to kind of explain it a little bit. And they're like, it's a movie about outer space and we need you to grow corn, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but so Christopher Nolan um, has many times talked about uh, an inspiration for him is Stanley Kubrick. And I, I love Kubrick. Like I would venture to bet my Kubrick is your... Uh, Christopher Nolan. I am obsessed with Kubrick. I think he was the best director that ever lived and will ever have a director like him ever again. And uh, hashtag Kubrick sluts. That's me. And, um, <laughs> and uh, But Kubrick, is a, it's talked about that uh, he wanted to make like one of every type of film. He wanted to make a science fiction film. He wanted to make a horror film, a war film, a comedy. And he did in history, uh, a, a history period piece. And he's done all of those things. And I think Kubrick, or excuse me, Christopher Nolan is doing that as well. Um, you know, he's done Dunkirk, he's done Interstellar, he's done a, a superhero movie. The list he's goes done on. a Bond film, yeah. Yeah, and for that, I respect him because that is really cool. And I would imagine as a director, that has to be probably the most like fulfilling thing because it's like if you get like some of these directors get stuck in like the Marvel DC universe, and then that's all they do till the end of time. And I would go insane. Anybody would, you know. And then they they quit and. Um, so it's cool that he has done the ability to do that. And so the reason I bring that up is because this film is definitely inspired heavily by 2001 A Space Odyssey. And so for that, that's another reason why I love this film is that it takes the ideas of 2001 and expands it into a little bit more of a modern day telling, a new expansion of that. Um, do they hold up together? I don't know. But I think, because they're two separate films, even though they're very similar, I do think they're a little bit different, but they're similar in a lot of ways as well. Um, but I guess um, the thing that what I'm getting at is like, is in Interstellar, what I still like is like the pushing of the like human, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the human discovery in all of us that like, as yeah. soon as we think there's something that we have like mastered or fulfilled, there's always something next and that is something that in interstellar that i really love is like the world is coming to an end and like i've always enjoyed films where like um like through the necessity of human endurance that's when like creativity is pushed to the max like um this world is coming to an end and that is then what pushes the expanse of science into interstellar travel. And I think that's a really interesting concept that it's like, that's what it'll take us humans as a species to finally get into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah, what I, what I really enjoy about it too is because it really presents this idea of humanity because like science, science is our best tool to approach 
learning the world. It's like the best thing we have at the moment, but we can construct all these different theories and formula and, and algorithms and whatnot to predict how things will behave and how things will occur as we experience them or, and learn about them. But we're so small and insignificant in, in face of the universe that like any of our predictions or like theoretical models are never going to live up to how things actually behave in reality. And so it was like when they, when they came off of a uh, Miller's planet and in interstellar and like, like the stakes got raised so high there because they like, they got back and I, I forget the actor's name who stayed or the character's name who stayed in the, uh, in the ship. And he was there for like, 21 years something like that and, he, and he's like and they're like and they had no idea they're like how many years have passed and it's like 21 and they're and just the you see it on the actor's faces and everybody like the gravity of what had just happened and like everything they predicted as gravity didn't work for the way they thought it did in its relationship to time and like that's the moment in the film where everything gets so real like yeah that's like when the real weight of the story kind of comes down on them and um uh, what I with that well, like what you said too, it's that same thing of again that like, you know, with science and and life and the expectations of life is we can sit here and you could have the most tight, tightly ground plan that you could ever create and think of everything in the world, and like so Anne Hathaway's character, uh, also Doctor Brand, the young Doctor Brand, she goes down on Miller's planet where they have like the huge giant waves. Uh, you know, every hour is like seven years back on earth because of the gravity shift and she fucks up. She makes a mistake and she gets back on the ship. And she was like, she even says something to the effect of like, I, you know, I, I ran through the calculations in my head. I understood what we had to do, but like in those moments, we're still human. We're still vulnerable and we are still capable of making mistakes no matter how tight the plan can go. And, um, and so that's one thing that I like about this movie is that it's 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 about interstellar travel, but it's very much about humans. Um, so anyway, I guess I have like a I have a, I always have a weird way of going about this because we've been talking for thirty eight minutes now, and I guess so now let's talk about what this movie's about uh, in case anyone I guess hasn't seen it or just a quick recap. I should always do this from the beginning, so I apologize, but. Um, but yeah, let's fill in the pieces. So this movie's about the, basically the Earth is coming to an end. And help me fill in at any point if I'm missing anything. There's um, some sort of, yeah, too much dust, some sort of climate catastrophe that's happening. Crops are failing. Yeah, a blight um, is effectively spreading across the entire world. Uh, with that too, one thing that I like also is like these little hints and pieces about like the world. Like you can kind of tell there was like a lot of war happening that might have inadvertently have something to do with what's going on. Um, and I always thought that was really interesting. They talk about like, they, they mentioned something like before the federal government, you know, and like, it seems like that's been kind of abolished Then maybe there's just like a one world government now. I don't really know. Um, but I feel like they've always, they could always like you could make another movie set in this universe to kind of figure out and explore that a little bit more. And that's something that I always think is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, the world's coming to an end very, very radically. And, and, and like they, the one thing I give this film too, is they did their homework because like that dust issue was a very real issue. There's a documentary you can watch on it. Yeah. And all, all those, uh, all those clips at the beginning with, uh, with people talking about their experiences with the dust and talking the details of like setting the, when they're setting the table, putting their plates and cups upside down so the 
dust didn't settle in them. That was a real thing. Those were all real people. Those were all real stories. And I think that was from that documentary, right? I think so. Yeah. And because yeah. um, I forgot about that. Yeah, because they have because they have Ellen Burstyn playing old Murph that they just cut in with it. But yeah, there are stories about like like middle America getting hit by like these crazy dust storms. And yeah, like all their plants for that whole season are just gone. And the situation is rising with things changing and evolving on earth, such as like, I don't know, mining and fracking and, you know, effectively destroying parts of our planet for consumption of resources. Um, And so that is where the film is interesting because it doesn't like hit you over the head with like a message of like, you know, be better to the planet. You know, it's there, but they don't, it's not the main focus. And it just um, sets the context. Exactly. And then like one thing I like too is uh, when Michael Caine, uh, Dr. Brand Sr. is giving Matthew McConaughey the tour of the facility at one point, he said something to the effect they're welding the spaceship. And he was like, you know, every rivet on that spaceship could have been a bullet, but now it's being used for the progress of you know, interstellar travel. And I've always really liked that because it's like, imagine what we could do if the emphasis of science and discovery and self maintenance was a little bit more of a priority than war. And I do find that like absolutely fascinating in this movie because it's like, well, this is the result. We get to travel through wormholes and go check out black holes. And that's fucking a hundred times cooler than any war I've ever heard of. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, should we continue talking about what this film is actually about? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. plot. Yeah, I, I go on bunny trails yeah. too much. I apologize, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, so Matthew McConaughey, he's like he's a failed pilot. He had an accident. The beginning of the film starts, and he's obviously traumatized from his early trainings with NASA. And he's become a farmer and in uh, a nameless place in I guess you'd assume Middle America. And they're in this farm and. His daughter Murph comes across like a, a gravitational anomaly, and I don't know it as a gravitational anomaly at this point, but she keeps talking about this ghost in her bedroom, and and Matthew McConaughey encourages Murph to like use science and reason and logic and judgment to explain this this phenomenon, as he's clearly a man who uh, believes that everything can be explained in physical terms. And so ultimately, this leads to the discovery of some coordinates and where he meets Dr. Brand Sr. And, uh, at what would, it was a secret NASA facility that's been studying how to get uh, populate distant planets because they understand that the world is ending. And because Matthew McConaughey is there at this moment in time, he is picked as, for this heroic mission to go with a team and retrieve and, and visit planets through this wormhole that have been identified through which... 12, 10, 12 previous astronauts have been sent through to determine the possibilities of habilitating these distant planets. And in order to do so, he has to leave his kids behind on Earth in order to save humanity, which is like one of the, the other conflict in the film, because it's very much for, for uh, Mur- the character of Murph. She goes through the entire film thinking that her father abandoned her. And it's a, that's a cool thing, too. Because it's like it's the it's the philosophy of like the needs of the individual versus the needs of the many, and you know like what would you do? You know, uh, yeah, like my girlfriend Nat and I were talking about that, and I said to her, you know, if I went on an astronaut mission t- that would risk my life, but it would be for the betterment of humanity, you know, how would you feel? And she was like, yeah, I would, you know, I would understand it, and I would say go for it. You know what I mean? Like, and that is a thing 
in this movie that I I really love is that that theme of like, would you be able to leave your kids behind and go on an interstellar mission to try to save all of humanity? Yeah, but then they have that weight of like of the possibility of them thinking that you actually abandoned them for their entire life. Like I like the part where like Matthew McConaughey comes back from Miller's planet and like gets all these years of recordings from his kids and they just like literally listens to them give up on him because he has no way of like contacting him. It is so heartbreaking. Hey dad. You son of a bitch. I never made one of these when you were still responding because I was so mad at you for leaving. And then when you went quiet, it seemed like I should live with that decision, and I have. But today's my birthday. And it's a special one because you told me You once told me that when you came back, we might be the same age. And today I'm the age you were when you left. This <laughs> so might be a real good time for you to come back. Yeah, it's, um, this movie, this movie will make you feel all the feels. And, um, uh, it goes into another little tidbit of the film so which is like yeah again the connection the connection of love and what does that mean um but uh like one of those which I, I just want to interject that was the other reason why i didn't like this film initially because it just hit the romance love theme just two on the nose and that was initially why i didn't like it but then i, I began to accept it a little bit more as i the more and more i watched the film yeah no i agree i because it is a little on the nose like you said it's a little like like that whole conversation of like love is you know unexplainable and science can't define it, but it's something that travels through time, space, and dimensions. Like, dude, really, we're having a philosophical debate on <laughs> love in the middle of our Interstellar movie, but it works out. It pays off because we realize that like the love, the connection will come back later uh, through Murph and her discovery of the watch. But um, but so yes, yeah, so then. Uh, Another scene really quick, actually, before we get into it, too, on the same topic of leaving your kids, is that I don't know about you, but I've always felt um, the way that, like, all of it works to get him in that spaceship to leave is done really well because Murph is mad at him, as anyone would be. You know, you're you're going to leave me on this planet and you're going to leave and I don't know when I'm going to see you again. I mean, that's a tough thing to go through. And actually, probably my favorite scene in the whole movie is when he he says bye to Murph. She doesn't even say goodbye back to him. And so he turns his back and he goes out the door and he gets in the car and he starts driving away and dust is kicking up from behind his car. And then that's when Murph comes out and she's screaming like, Dad, stop. And he can't see her because of the dust, which is part of the problem here on Earth. Yeah. And I actually has, never made that connection. That's a that's interesting. And it's like I've always felt that I've always felt that like, yeah, the dust that's kicking up from the car is metaphorical to the situation, the problem, and that's why he can't see his daughter. And because he looks in the rear view mirror and he can't see her. And I've always felt like there's something there where like if he did see her, I don't think he would have gone. Because I feel like that that human connection would have been too strong. And that he wouldn't have gone, and then all the events would not have taken place. 
And so it's like that's and then it's like you hear that mixed again with the music. That's probably like one of my favorite bits of music out of the whole movie. It just swells with this like all the feels and then you hear the countdown, which that's always kind of like like metaphorical of like the progress of mankind like going to the moon. You know, like the countdown from 10 to zero to begin something anew. But anyway, yeah, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. So I had to talk about that just super quick. But um uh yeah, so then we get into outer space and uh and that is then where the film Yeah, so then it's basically I think it's like sleep for two years, right, to get to Jupiter? They like slingshot around Saturn, Saturn. Jupiter. Yeah. yeah. And is the is it right outside of Saturn. It's right outside yeah. Saturn, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because that's also kind of within where the film ends. Uh, yeah. And that's where they get into the wormhole. And one of those beautiful moments of uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, um, you know, oh, wow, what was the word? Uh, <laughs> exposition. Yeah, where he's explaining what a wormhole is. Yeah, and, and his demonstration with the paper, which I mean was actually pretty effective. I got to think of I was a... It was it was pretty helpful to get there, I think, but definitely just explicit exposition. <laughs> well, and it's funny too because, like, I always yeah. find it kind of funny that, like, it's like, would you really be explaining this like two minutes before you enter the like? Wouldn't that have been done back on Earth? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I always think that's kind of funny, but um, oh, yeah, and uh, and really uh. And really not giving Matthew McConaughey as a NASA pilot and engineer uh, much credit. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a moment like that. Like the guy, they should have just paused the movie and then the doctor explained it. Should have just like looked at the camera and been like, all right, folks. So here's a piece of paper and this is what it's going (laughs) to, yeah, this is what it's going to be. No. And it's also a fun little trivia fact. That explanation is taken from another science fiction movie. Some love it. Some hate it. Um, Event Horizon. They, they actually... Uh, they use that exact same explanation in the film with a piece of paper and poking a pencil through it. It's almost taken like almost oh. word for word. It's kind of funny. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I haven't seen that. It's the, it's the best. It's one of the best dumb movies you'll ever see. And uh, it is worth the watch, but I don't recommend anyone to watch it if that makes sense. Um, it's a weird movie, but because that movie is also about traveling through like wormholes and black holes and stuff. But um but yeah, that wormhole sequence, uh, wormholes, I don't know. Do you understand wormholes? Because I don't. No, I mean, I don't. Like, uh, my, my basic understanding of them is that they're, they're not a naturally occurring phenomenon and they have, like, they're completely theoretical. And in order for one to occur, it has to be, like, explicitly put there in, in, by something so, with the capability of doing so. See, that shit's so weird because it's like, we know they're real, but yeah, we've never seen one. But we know that they could exist, and it's like what? Like, <laughs> like I think I understand like science, like the science of like space travel pretty well. But yeah, there's something about wormholes that like I try to research it, and like my brain just like squirts out my nose, and I'm like, I don't understand this at all. So, no, you just gotta accept it. <laughs> yeah, like they say, you have I mean, to let go. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson or uh, Kip Thorne can explain it exquisitely and very elegantly but uh we are neither of those gentlemen no unfortunately not because like black holes make sense to me like yeah you know i'm for my limited knowledge they make sense but yeah there's some every time like entering the wormhole and going through it i'm always like 
is this what it would really be like? And I'm like, dude, I, I have no clue. So it's just like, I, I'm going to trust the pros here and just be like, okay, this is what it is. This is how it be. Yeah. Well, while we're on that topic, I just want to like throw a shout out to Kip Thorne, who was like a, I don't know, Nobel prize winning physicist who was like a consultant on the film. And I think, didn't he, didn't he consult an inter, on a space odyssey as well? Maybe. I think if it's the same guy that we're, we're talking about, I'm pretty certain it is. Um, Another fun little fact about him is uh, the same year there was that movie. Oh, fuck. What was it called? It was about Stephen Hawking. Uh, oh, uh, um, With Eddie The Theory Raymond. of Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Theory yep. of Everything. Yeah. Yep. And um, that guy is in The Theory of Everything because he the, he's in, not obviously him, but an actor portraying him is in that movie. And that movie came out in the same year as this film, which is kind of funny. Uh, small world. But... Uh, but yeah, like you were saying, they did do, they worked with a ton of physicists on this film to get like the science of the black hole and the wormholes and like the science down as structurally pat as humanly possible. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and as far as I know, they, I think they, at the time, at least that was the most um, accurate visual representation of the behavior of a black hole that anybody had ever created by this, this point. Yeah. And I know too that like they had to basically, they had the VFX team like, kind of unlearn everything that they'd learned to then learn coding to create the visuals. So like what you're seeing in terms of the black hole and how it's bending is actually based off of mathematical formulas, which is like in the VFX world of everything, it's like, we'll just make it look correct. And if, you know, if the audience buys it, then like job well done. But with this, they like went the extra mile, which I think is kind of cool and kind of funny. So, um, but, um, yeah, traveling to that black hole is really cool. And that's when we get also then the, like, another thing with this film is, like, the hint of something supernatural, uh, where there, th that's also another part of this film I love is when the hand comes through and Anne Hathaway is, 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 is uh, the younger brand. And what we will soon later discover is Matthew McConaughey shake hands in a form of what is, like, effectively a form of time travel. Um, and what I also like is then every time you start this movie, you could think about like, you're watching a new iteration of Matthew McConaughey going through the steps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I actually elaborate on that a little bit. Like, I always feel like every time I watch this movie, like, okay, like the first time you watch it, like that's iteration one of Matthew McConaughey as Cooper's journey. And now... Yep. Like, so when, like, the first one ends and you watch the movie a second time, the Matthew McConaughey that's coming back at the beginning of the movie is the first iteration of the movie the first time you watch it. So you get to watch it yeah. in layers in terms of, like, steps right. of how the story is presented. And I know this is, like, a super nerdy way to look at it, but it's something that, like, I I could eat that shit up all all the time till the end of time, which is that, like... Every time you watch the movie, you're watching the story in a loop manner, but you're just watching the next yeah. phase of it. It goes on infinitely. So, but then, and then, so then, yeah, we get to the wormhole. We get to, where do they even, is it a new galaxy? My brain always forgets. Or is it a new solar system? It's a new solar system, right? New solar system, yep. Outside, outside this, uh, this water planet with Miller on it. And then there's like, yeah, so there's the 12 astronauts that have made it to their planets that are sending back. Uh, data of effectively yeah. new planets to live on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and this one planet is also orbiting Gargantua, which is the, the the feature black hole in this film. And what I always find funny is like, 
See, that's like a it's like another thing we were kind of talking about earlier is like the problem of exposition with Nolan, where it's like all these planets are within eyesight of a black hole, and like that's not talked about. You know what I mean? Like they get through the wormhole and they're like, oh, by the way, there's a black hole, no big deal. And it's like, yo, this is a huge fucking deal. This is like the biggest deal in the hu- the history of all humanity. Which is to have planets that are within literal fucking eyesight of a black hole. Like, don't you think that's something... And it's, like, kind of glossed over a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I, I, I almost think in a way, like, I would have rather had a movie of them not exploring the water planet and the ice planet and having that time then be designated to, like, the conversation about what it will be like to live next to a fucking black hole. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a little bit more interesting. But I could also just watch, like... I could, oh, another fun fact, I could watch, like, like you know when TARS and Matthew McConaughey go into the black hole yep. at the end of the film? TARS is outdoing something, the robot is outdoing something in the black hole, and I've always thought somebody should make a movie of just TARS in this black <laughs> hole by himself for, like, two hours and the journey that he goes on in that time to discover whatever it is that he needs to. Um, that would fill in a lot of gaps for a lot of people. A lot of gaps. And just like, I just make this robot like traveling through time and witnessing humanity in a black hole with a structure that can show you time infinitely by just traveling up and down or practically in any direction. I think that would be a great film. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll make it. You and me will start writing it. So, um, <laughs> we'll pitch it to Nolan and see what he thinks. Exactly. Dude, like, yeah, Interstellar 2 the black hole robot that's it right there um, but so we get to the solar system and then yeah we begin checking out the planets and the first one we go to is miller's planet that's what we were talking about earlier where um well i guess we don't know if the whole planet's made out of water but the beacon is in water and there's a debate on whether to go to him to miller's planet or uh or uh, edmund's planet edmund's planet and then man's planet is, is one of the contenders as well yeah. And um, they go to Miller's planet first. I think it's because they were talking about. Uh, well, they knew it had water, and also it, it, show, had, it shows the clearest signs of organic possibility for life. Yeah, and then that's where the 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 movie really starts its introduction as um, time being an asset, and that is really cool because time is really weird and actually really cool too because actually around the time of this movie coming out is when they had come out scientists and physicists had come out with um proof of einstein's use of relativity and that gravity does affect time which is bananas so that like you can look out in outer space and see different time pockets because of their relative position and distance to heavy sources of gravity and it's like holy fuck when you think about that like that's just bananas because like you could look out at the skyline tonight and see a star that's like 1,000 light years away. So what we're seeing happened 1,000 years ago, but that's relative to our time. So it could be even more or less depending on the gravity that it has to travel through to get here. And that's just like, it's just like, what? You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, okay, all right. I guess it makes sense, but it has it makes no sense at all. And I love it. And um, and so, yeah, going down on the planet is uh, the, yeah, one one hour is seven years back on Earth. And what I really like, too, is if you think about it, it's like that in itself is a form of time traveling. And, um, and like, time as a resource is really cool because that is also then imbued in everyone, including you and me, that, like, time is a resource. We only have so much time here, so make it the best. And... Um, 
another reason why this film is so fucking dope. And um, they, they escape Miller's planet. They find they get there, and Miller's been dead for I know, for what they think is 10, 12 years. But really, by the time they land there, it's because of the time slippage. It's only been ten minutes, perhaps. Uh, they lose um, they lose one of their crew. Again, I can never remember that actor's name. I just like uh, I know the character's name is Doyle, but yeah, I can't remember the yeah. actor's name is either. Yeah, but uh, anyway, he's he's a casualty. They safely escape the planet and they get back on the endurance and they realize twenty one years of twenty one years have passed. So then they're confronted with I know their their loss of time as a resource and how much fuel they have on their endurance and they have to make a choice between uh, man's planet or Edmund's planet, right? Yeah, and so they go to man's planet because he's been he's been sending out data saying, come here, come here, the, this planet is good, it has life, it harbors life, there's organic compounds. So they're like, okay, these are our best odds. They go down to man's planet and they wake up, surprisingly, Matt Damon, who's been in the cryo sleep for however many years. And it's on this planet where he has like, and there's, a, once you get into theories, there's a, there's, a really, like, there's a really important conversation here that I think warrants a little bit more focus. And it's when man takes, Matthew McConaughey down uh, or Cooper down to more to the planet's surface where to show him like the organic compounds and whatnot, but he's really taking them out there to, to murder him and like take command of the endurance and try to save himself. But he has this conversation about survival and the human psyche's uh, will to survive when they're faced with like imminent death and like what goes through their heads. And then Matthew McConaughey or uh, Matt Damon says, what do you see? You see, you see your family, you see your, your life and everything that flashes before your eyes and your, and your mind works just a little bit harder to push through, to try to survive for your family in order to hopefully see them again. Takes off Matthew McConaughey as the receiver. He throws him down a cliff. There's a, there's a, there's a fight down there and he manages to escape because he rips off Matt. He cracks Matthew McConaughey's uh, helmet, glass on his helmet, and just by bashing his own helmet together, and Matthew McConaughey stops him and says, there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to kill yourself. And he's like, those are the best odds I've had in years. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. So he escapes. Uh, Brandt comes back with Tars to, to get to Matthew McConaughey. And, but... Uh, Matt Damon has has rigged the rigged the base to explode, and is trying to escape the planet with the shuttle to like redock with the endurance and take control of the endurance, which is uh, ultimately unsuccess ultimately unsuccessful. And I think that again that goes into like the the themes of of morality in terms of like um, again what would you do you know if you were on this freezing cold ice planet you don't have the resources to get back home what would you do? I, you know, it's, I think it's easy for both of us to say we would accept our fate and what we have to do in the endurance of the survival of the species. But it's one of those things that like, until you're in that boat, you have no fucking clue. And, uh, I think that's another genius of this film is the acceptance of, of humanity. And what does that mean? That like, again, we're strong, but yet we're weak at the exact same time because we care because we love. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good storytelling. So, yeah. so we, so we get off the planet. Uh, McConaughey and Brandt are in the shuttle, or in one shuttle, and uh, Matt Damon's character Man is in in another, and he's attempting to dock with the Endurance against all uh, against all 
recommendations not to. And Tar uh, Tars is like, he had, his trust setting was very low, and he uh, he made he preemptively programmed the ship to disallow docking from <laughs> from the doctor uh, from Doctor Man, which was just brilliant because he's a robot. Turns yeah. off the autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. 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 And so Matt Damon docks, uh, blows up the airlock, and and then Brant and Matthew McConaughey and Cooper are like, and then this is the most exciting scene in the film for me because the, the the score, the way the, the way the scene was shot, like the, the debris orbiting around the planet, the endurance spinning, and them and them trying to like counter spin in order to like get the docking mechanism to line up, and I just love, I just the line. Uh, Tara's, Tara's saying, yeah, it's impossible. And, well, I can't remember the exact words, but Tara's like, it's impossible. And Matthew McConaughey, in the most Matthew McConaughey delivery ever goes, no, it's necessary. Cooper, there's no point in using her fuel to Analyze chase- the endurance of spin. Cooper, what are you doing? Knocking. Endurance rotation is 67, 68 RPM. Okay, get ready to match our span with the retro thrusters. It's not possible. No, it's necessary. It's necessary. Yep, yeah, it's just like, because it's just like, well, that's all you got. That's it. I, um, and it's funny because, like, every, every film is always made that, like, as long as it works in the moment, it's fine. But when you rewatch things, you kind of, you know, you always pick up, like, new things. And it's kind of funny because, like, they have technology to let people sleep for like years on end but like you don't have wi-fi to the computer on the ship to like have it turn on its own like stop propulsion system it's kind of <laughs> funny but whatever um it is a great scene and it works magnificently and um out of all of that again with like the time slippage we realize again even more time has passed um and then that is when the ultimate decision to go to Edmund's planet is there and that um that is then what goes into then quite one of my favorite parts of the film is then going to use a black hole to slingshot your space shuttle to go faster to then use the last remaining fuel to get to Edmund's planet. And that's where we go into the famous black hole sequence, which uh, I think that was the part for a lot of people watching this where the I don't get it started to pop up yeah. way too much because I remember talking. Oh, go ahead. Uh, this, this is also the point of the film where it really falls apart for me. And like, and I don't find it ultimately satisfying at the end, the way this all plays through, despite like, despite where this film ranks in my, in my, in my list of favorite films, it's still being at the top. Like this is usually where the film falls apart for me. And it's, and there's a, because everything, and up until this point, everything is so grounded in science. And obviously, like, <clears throat> everything's exaggerated for cinematic effect. And, and then beyond that, like, you can, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's founded in actual science and exaggerated for, for effect. But then to go into the black hole, like, obviously, nobody knows what happens in a black, once you, has to go through a black hole so the film has to like break continuity in a way and you just have to accept that because nobody knows what happens if you go in a black hole that you have like ultimate creative freedom to just play out a story and i think that's just like one element of like dis like continuity in the film that was rubs me a little bit the wrong way but i, I think he did the best he could with it and the and I, I don't know if there's, there's a theory i have like that there's a fan theory that exists on the internet that i kind of enjoy and i'd love to get your take well uh 
the fan theory is that Matthew McConaughey doesn't doesn't survive going through the black hole, and it's he actually dies going into it, and then and then and then everything that happens in it is his near death experience because everything that he's seeing in within the tesseract and going through Murph's room and whatnot is relates back to man's uh, question of like what is it that you see on the planet or on your last moments of death, and it's your family, and you push just a little bit harder to see your family one last time, and so the fan theory goes is that like he. Uh, Cooper dies as he goes into the black, goes through the black hole, but it's his mind pushing a little bit farther to see Murph. And so all the events kind of play out in, in his death experience. Because it is kind of a happy ending to a tale that is setting you up for a grim ending. So, huh, maybe. I, what I find really funny in that scene, my take on it is kind of like, um, first of all, I think it's funny that like no one has ever flown next to a black hole and he just like, pulls it off miraculously on his first attempt. I always think that, like you said, breaking continuity. I always think that's a little bizarre, but whatever, I digress. There is like, there's a lot of things, because I personally have always been fascinated by black holes because they are this thing that we've actually now seen them. We have photographic proof of black holes now, which is pretty cool. Um, Similar to the wormhole theory, it it, had always been like a theory, but never actually captured. Well, black holes, we have them now. And black holes, like I said, for my mind, I'm not a I'm not a pro in this matter, but like they make sense to me, and I do think they're fascinating. And but there's a theory that like let's to simplify the terms as best as humanly possible. There's like the sphere of the black hole, and there's a theory that like if you could touch it like a basketball, like putting a finger on a basketball, the very minute, the very second your toes would touch, quote unquote, the sphere of the black hole it would pull you straight down. So there's a lot of people yeah, that... Yeah, the, the long man, long man theory or something? Yeah, it's like, cause you're, where like... Because your toes are closer. Exactly. Your, your toes would fall faster than, than, your, than your head because they're closer to the source of gravity. So it, you would have to basically survive like a piece of like taffy getting pulled and stretch to the one millionth times one millionth degree squared... <laughs> And we'd have to survive that in order to go through it. So that is, like, I agree a million percent where, like, they don't spend enough emphasis on the, like, woe of this black hole. But it does look beautiful. And like you said, then they can get away with whatever they want. Um, I remember the first time watching it, when he goes in the black hole, you start to see some colors on his face. Some, like, reds and blues and yellows. Yeah. And I kind of remember in my head the first time watching this being like, oh, no, here comes the 2001 A Space Odyssey sequence. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, make something your own. And they did. And so what I've always felt is that because a new form of humanity through Anne Hathaway setting up the population on Edmund's planet, I've always felt that because of that civilization, again, living in such close proximity to the black hole that they are then able to develop a science upon which we on earth would never understand because we don't have a proximity to something like this. So I feel too, as weird as it sounds like the black hole maybe was created in a similar way that a wormhole was created. And so that it's not actually a true quote unquote black hole, but more of a time machine i guess so to speak that was created by a civilization x amount of time in the future 
because I too believe that no one or anything can go into a black hole and survive. I just don't really think that the the science supports that. But that whole scene I love. I, I mean, it is visually striking, memorable to the max, and beautiful. And I always love the idea of being able to look at time infinitely and like, you know, they talk about in the beginning of the film, Anne Hathaway mentioned something like, you know, you could you could crawl down into a canyon and go back in time because, and you know, and then move up a mountain to go ahead in time because the ability to create time would then be the ability to shift it and you could travel through it. And I think it's, that's represented very well. And as he's looking around, you see like infinite versions of like Murph walking around a room. You know, he like looks down and you just see all these iterations. And I love that stuff. Like, again, I think that this whole movie could just be two hours of that. And it'd probably be the best movie that I've ever seen ever. Did it work? I think it might have. How do you know? Because the bulk beams are closing the Tesseract. I thought you'd get it yet, Tars. They're not beings. They're us. What I've been doing for Murph, they're doing for me. For all of us. Cooper, people couldn't build this. No. No, not yet. But one day... Not you and me, but a people, a civilization that's evolved past the four dimensions we know. What happens now? Well, it's, it's like that understanding, it's an understanding of time that's like common to a few of my other like favorite pieces of like science fiction media. And like one goes back to like Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five and the next one is Arrival, where uh, and these beings, they take different approaches to it, but death is just a certain state of existence. Life or death is just a st- certain state of existence. So all these, every, every moment in time exists simultaneously, and like you can go back and forth between them because um, it doesn't exist linearly in our four-dimensional world as we experience it. So if you like transcend that fifth dimension, then perhaps then every every moment in time is equally accessible. Yeah. Cuz again if you have yeah, if you have the power to create time, you have the ability to wield it then. And that's like such a crazy thing to think about. I can't remember, but uh, it was just it was going to say that's the ultimate theme that I that I just really enjoy about the film is like is time and and uh and I spent a lot of time thinking about it and I think it's got to be so much more complex because we think of we think of time I'm sorry, I'm just I'm diverging now, but but yeah. But we, we think about time as something that's define, definable and increment and, and infinitely divisible, but it's not. It's continuous and there's, uh, there's got to be so much we think about it because we, we think of time in terms of years, uh, years, months, weeks, hours, minutes, seconds, and, and, uh, and fractions of a second and whatnot, and all the way down to whatever an, an atomic clock is able to measure, but it's just not the way time actually behaves. And uh, and so I think that's what the real sense of awe for this film comes in, like just the sense of insignificance of humanity in the face of like the powers of the universe exist. And and I think, and and uh, sorry, I mentioned Arrival too, which is one of my other favorite films. And because I did a linguistics degree, and uh, 
and arrival pro approaches time from a different from a different avenue. But again, it's the same. By the end of the film, it's the same. It's a, it's of the same. To me, it's of the same uh, thread of thought. Is that so? The film is based on this idea of this, the safer worth hypothesis. Is that the way you experience the world is uh, is limited and limited and guided by the language you speak. And so the aliens in the alien species that's, that comes to Earth and arrival, they, their language um, isn't bound by time. It's not linear. It's three-dimensional. And because they speak, they speak this multi-dimensional language, they don't experience the they don't experience the world in a linear way the way we do. They all moments in time are accessible to them equally, and that's the source of conflict for uh, Jessica Jessica Chastain. No, uh, let's see, Amy Adams. That's the source of her like her struggle in the film is she doesn't understand like where these visions of kids are coming from, but it's because she's like learning, she's learning this language that's allowing her to experience world uh, time in a different way. And in, in the way that it, it's something that's more complex than what we're, what we're able to, uh, that, that what humans are naturally able to and how we've chosen to understand it and represent it. And then it gets, and then that's kind of, it's kind of the same as the, uh, Matthew McConaughey's Tesseract, he gets to this point and like all these moments are infinitely available. What I always find funny is movies about time though are funny if you really think about it because all the films are written and scripted. So they're already on a determined path. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you write a script and you make a movie, the ending might change for different like reasons financially, but the ending is pretty much there and it's all set in stone. And now we're just going through the paces to make it, which is the definition of determinism. That's why I think like the second and third matrix films don't really do a great job because it's like, well, he's already going to do what he's going to do because the writer wrote it. And so that's the same idea and principle in interstellar is that he is determined because right in the beginning of the movie, this ghost that is yeah. giving the coordinates to this NASA uh, uh, hideout, what's the word I'm looking for, base, um, uh, is given to us by a f future iteration of Matthew McConaughey. And uh, so I think it's funny because, like, yeah, like, movies then can help audiences understand what determinism, determinism is. Because, like, if I knew for a, like, a one million percent fact, not an educated guess, not a probabilities factor a true, genuine, 100% knowledge that tomorrow at 1.07 p.m. in 13 seconds, my coffee mug is going to fall off the table and shatter on the ground. If I knew that was going to happen, then determinism is 100% real. And there's no other way to shake it because that means everything would have to line up for that coffee mug to be there to fall at that moment. And, uh, and determinism is a funny thing because it's like, it's if... If we have the ability to, yeah, again, create and wield time to be able to see forward and backwards, then we've already done everything. This conversation happened at the start of time, and now we're just going through the motions. And uh, and then when you, so it's weird because the film presents this idea, but in a way that says, well, then humanity can be a part of it. A lot of movies are like, it's against the humans. You know what I mean? Like, it's against our main characters, but this movie's like, hey, through science and enough crazy thinking, we might actually be able to one day ourselves get to this point because that's who builds these structures to help our characters through their journey, which I think is pretty cool. Not a lot of films go down that route. So yep. most films are like, humans are fucking stupid. We're never getting there. And uh, this film is kind of the opposite, which is hopefully to inspire people to push forward. Because like, 
Science fiction has done a lot. I mean, you look at, like, Star Wars and Star Trek, like, how many people at, like, NASA right now are working there because they watched Star Trek as a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's really cool. I, um... I don't know, man. I, now we're just going to talk about time theories for the next six hours. So. <laughs> Which neither of us are qualified to speak Exactly. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. An architect and a fucking animator talk about relativity, quantum physics, and time travel for the next six hours. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I like I like the ending. I like... Um, I like that both answers because we one thing we didn't talk about was like the plan A and the plan B. Plan B being just repopulate yeah. a new planet. Plan A is get the people off of Earth into outer space in a in a vessel that is capable of launching off of Earth to get enough people into outer space. And um, I really like that. I like the ending. I like that it ends on a high note because this movie I think very easily could have gone into a sad, tragic ending. Yep. And. Uh, and just being able to see Ellen burst burst in, in any movie is just worth it. Um, <laughs> but uh, did you like the ending? What are, what are your thoughts about the ending? I did like the ending, and it's like, I mean, can you imagine like, I know here you, you go in space to save the world, and you leave your you're leaving your ten year old daughter behind, and you tell her that like, when I come back, I we might be the same age, and he comes back, and she's lived an entire life without him, and like. <laughs> saved saved humanity and he like gets to basically gets to visit her on her uh on her dying bed and could you like like just the thought of going through that is so mind-bending like regardless of the theory of like whether or not this is his like death dream or whether or not it actually happened like the like the thought of that actually like being possible within physics is pretty is pretty mind-bending and and then and, and then and the piece that Murph has at the end of like living the first half of her life, like feeling abandoned in the second half, knowing that her, uh, her father was trying to get back to her is like, and finding peace in that moment and actually being able to see him again. was like, and that's, that's beautiful. And then the fact that he is encouraged to go out and look, look for Brant because obviously he loves Brant, <laughs> but Brant, but Brant is currently experiencing like, a huge heartbreak because like her whole I mean sure she's out there for science but she's also out there to see the love of her life who's just been out on a planet and obviously has died and now she's there by herself like marooned and with with the task with the weight of like repopulate uh, repopulating the human race on an unfamiliar planet by herself which is but it but it is optimistic in that way because it's like okay she survived survived the greatest human feat and challenge and there's there's still hope at the end of it there's there's loss and hope but it's like and and i mean i mean i I like to think that matthew mcconaughey did survive the black hole through like some crazy mechanism of fifth dimensional time rather than actually dying because i feel like dying is just kind of a cop-out it's like it goes too much back to like the six uh six cents sort of (laughs) cop-out he's like oh he's dead the whole time but uh what i like to is uh, I, one of my favorite little things too is that he just steals one of the spaceships from the from the <laughs> from the I don't know what you call it like the traveling space vessel just doesn't even ask like he's like yeah my daughter pretty much owns all this thing I can fucking take one of these spaceships if I want to yeah, there's um, no car alarm on it it's all fueled up yeah, he's ready to go and he just fucking just shoots out by himself no food no water he's like fuck it I'll make it like I just always thought that was kind of funny um, the ending's like a titch bit rushed I just think that like. 
that scene with like the family in the room. I I always just want it like a beat longer because like those are technically like his grandkids, you know, like and it's like just give us a little bit more world and a little bit more, but it is still really touching. And I know that this movie's already two two hours and forty five minutes and I always call this is really mean, but I don't care. I call like your dumb movie goer. I always call them Karen and Randy's. That's a really <laughs> I, this is a term that I use usually in private is like the Karen and Randy's right. going to movies. And at this point, like I might have to adopt that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the, the Karen and the Randy's who are just sitting in the movie theater just eating junk food, being like, I don't get it. Um you know, at this point, you've already lost them. So I feel like the ending was compromised a little bit for your average moviegoer so that, like, we could just kind of get back to the happy feels and end a high note. But every time I watch this movie, I'm always like, just give us, like, five more minutes with just Murph and, 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 and Coop just talking about what it's like to be, like, old. And, yeah, have a conversation of, like, what does it feel like to be a daughter that is now older than your own father? Like that's a conversation worth having, right? Like that's, but that's, but I think again, the people that want the philosophical notes, unfortunately, I'm sure the filmmakers did too, but they did have to sacrifice and compromise a lot to get this film made, you know, where they were like, I'm sure there was some studio exec that was like, if you don't fucking explain what wormhole is, you're not making this movie. And so Christopher Nolan was like, okay, we'll use the paper example two minutes before we go into the wormhole. So so I feel like there had to be some compromise in the movie to balance it out between your people that aren't going to get it versus the people that are going to get it, which is kind of a bummer, but it's still a great yeah. film. Um, yeah. it's, it's also not the kind of film that you're like, Christopher Nolan never intended anybody to watch this film once. He builds enough layers and like amb- ambiguity in there, for which is what I really appreciate with him. He doesn't feel the need to like wrap things up nicely. Like He, he creates films that are worth talking about at length as we're doing now which is which i which i find so uh so refreshing and like and there's a reason why i go back to watching this film over and over and again it's because of like the layers and to it it's not just a one dimension it's literally not like a one-dimensional film and it's it's worth chatting because it approaches so many so many uh different aspects of humanity and the challenges we've created and are facing and but with optimism yeah and uh it's even funny too now again there's like even like a kind of a core theme of what murph you know when she's uh the adult murph back on earth you know like her brother who has remained on the farm is struggling horrendously his family is sick they lost a child and still you know doesn't doesn't give in to science and progression you know he kind of represents people that would be against stuff like this. Cause you know, you look back at like the first Apollo mission going to the moon. I mean, there were people that were furious and I understand their argument, you know, like there's starving people in this world and we're going to spend millions upon millions of dollars just to go to the moon. Whoopty fucking do. But like, it does mean a lot in terms of the progression of humanity. So I think that this film does a good job with that as well, where like, the brother is angry, you know, he feels abandoned and he's on this farm and it's literally dying around him. And I think he knows that he just doesn't want to admit it. And there's like an anger and an ang- like a hostility and a resentment towards science and progression. And that also is really interesting to me because that's something that we're dealing with right now. Um, <laughs> yep. uh. You know, in the, in the face of this pandemic and people that are not willing to, 
get a vaccination to literally help out their fellow man, uh, mankind and, you know, their fellow neighbor is kind of uh, a bit baffling to me. But um, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms that <laughs> we could crack open, I guess, another time. But, uh, <laughs> but it is interesting. And I think that the film did a good job with that of, again, like kind of showing the the side both sides of the the coin what's funny too really quick funny little rabbit hole i always think with some movies um one thing is they always say like like whether you're making a tv show a commercial a movie is to watch the whole thing muted and see if it still kind of translates and the way that the film is cut, we are going from Matthew McConaughey's space journey back to Earth with Jessica Chastain's adventure. And I always think it's kind of funny that if you re-edited the movie and took out all the space stuff, Jessica Chastain's story is that, like, she's just angry at her hip brother and is trying to find a watch. It's kind of, you know what I mean? Like, if you boil it down to <laughs> yeah. just that, I always think that's kind of funny is, like, that's her story throughout the whole film. But, uh... That's just a little little side note. So um, I really love Matthew McConaughey in this film. He's he's really what makes it. But then he's almost like to Matthew McConaughey. The more I watch it, yeah, yeah, yes. And the, the more I and now at this point, it's because I've seen it so many times that it's like you'd still think I remember every every character's name, but it's like a, it's, I still forget. But it's the more and more I focus on his acting and then like certain other actors and in the and like I mean t- t- Timothy Timothy Chalamet and. And Ben Affleck were casted really well together. I mean, he's believably like Ben Affleck, uh, Casey Affleck, sorry, is like quite believably like the grown-up version of Timothy Chalamet. But they, yeah, there's uh, they're definitely like I, I just notice the, the idiosyncrasies of all their acting a little bit more and more in the watch. The more I watch the film, but well, and it's funny because like um, yeah, so my girlfriend and I were watching it and. Um... She'd seen the film also before, but yeah, we were watching it, and also she was like, "Oh my god!" She's like, "Is that Timothy Chalamet?" And we were like, "Yeah!" Like she was like, "I forgot he was in this," and she was like, "Wow, he's actually a kid here because like he's still a kid now, but he was a kid back in 2014 too." It's kind of funny. Yeah, and um, well, he's something like 25 now, I think, which is really crazy. And now he's in Dune. He was playing like 15 year old Paul Atreides. Matthew <laughs> McConaughey is a great actor, but he is an actor that like he is the character. Like Morgan Freeman's the same way. Like. Morgan Freeman is just Morgan Freeman in every movie. He's just Morgan Freeman as a detective. Morgan Freeman as God. Morgan Freeman as a prison inmate. You know, like... Yeah. And I think Matthew McConaughey does a good job for what is needed because, again, the character is supposed to have this kind of, like, the all-American boy. You know, this man that yeah. follows his gut before his mind and it usually works out in his favor. And he's he's an all-around good guy, wholehearted. And... uh yeah, and people love them for it, especially boomers. Boomers love those kind of movies where they're like, yeah, he didn't listen to the science. He followed his gut. He was correct. And it worked out for him. And, uh, yeah, it's a good film. Fucking Interstellar. If you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend it. I'm sure Matthew would too. And uh, Watch it again and again and again. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, watch it again. And then um, there's something, too, about... I remember when this film came out and, and um, talking to people about it. Yeah, and the people, like, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it drives me nuts when I talk to people about this movie and they're like, I didn't get it. And it's like, what the fuck didn't you get? It's actually probably, like, in terms of, like... It's Nolan films, it's pretty straightforward. Exactly. Like, I would actually venture to bet that, like, 
Inception would have a better reason of like non-understanding than this film would. It's just yeah. about a dude that visits three planets and time slips away from him. I don't know. Fucking, well, what's the black hole? It's like, dude, fucking figure it out. That's the point. What does it mean to you? Well, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> oh, dude, that shit kind of drives me nuts. But uh... yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the Tesseract thing is pretty hard to wrap your head around. And every, I so I still always have to go and like, read a little bit more of like a primer again. I'm like how the different dimensions work as you like move up through them or down through them just, just as a means of understanding. Cause it's just something that's uh and humans are not wired to figure that kind of stuff out. We can speculate on it, but we're, we're like our brains would just probably implode if we actually like, had to confront that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's always been like the funny thing of like science fiction is like the dream of the future of like humanity coming mm-hmm. together and through science, we're going to conquer everything. But then it's like, yeah, you get there, and then there's Casey Affleck, who doesn't want to get the vaccine and thinks his farm's going to do better next year. And that's where this film does really well, where it's like, not everybody's going to be on board, so all you can do is support and push and help progress the people that are trying to do these things, because it is important. And uh, space travel is fucking important, people. Fucking get on that train. Hashtag get on that train today. And... uh, because it is important. I think space travel is super important. And like we're, you know, we're getting close to Mars right now, which is cool as fuck. William Shatner went into space. We can send 90-year-olds into space now, so Yeah. But uh I think that's I think that's that's a that's a question that I'll end with is uh if you Matthew Hardy had the chance to get on a spaceship and do interstellar travel to help humanity, would you do it? I mean, yeah, probably. But I, I had the I had this conversation with my friend, uh, with my friend, a friend of mine the other day, and uh, he's he's as enthusiastic about about space as we are, and science and progress, and uh, and um, somewhat somewhat joking. Like, and I have a diff- I've been developing a different perspective on like the the merits of space travel and development in space a little bit, and uh, and like should humanity actually have the opportunity to do that to progress our species? And I got labeled kind of as a, a misanthrope in, in, in the, in the, in the course of this conversation, because I was like, I know, but like, why should uh, my problem? My, I think my problem now is like, um, I, uh, our, our reasons for space travel and our reasons for expanding and exploring new planets and um, ex- um, increasing our, our reach and sphere of influence are very human centric and anthropocentric in terms of like, and it stems from like our human perception that we are, uh, that we inherited the world and the universe and like it's at our fingers to manipulate for our, for our own benefit and, and more to the point to the benefit of capitalism and whatnot. And, uh, and, and I, I struggle with, I, I struggle with the idea now that we should, have that opportunity well and it's a very good conversation because there was like an article i was reading about what would happen if we ever got to that point and basically the answer is it would be like like mars would be like mars presented by target (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you're the the president of mars is also the president and co-owner and you know ceo of target and then jupiter is going to be planet walmart and uh you know, Saturn is going to be Amazon, you know, and Jeff Bezos. And so it's like, what, what corporate structure do you want to live underneath? And um, that is kind of sad to think about because how do you mandate who owns things in outer space? And that is weird. And I mean, we're looking at it now with like 
speaking of Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos and all these millionaires going into space, it's like, it is weird. So I get what you're yeah. saying because it's like, if we do go to another planet, we're just going to do the exact same thing that we did to this planet there. And, you know, you hope for the best, but those Karen and Randy's, man, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. They're always there. They're always just munching <laughs> on popcorn loudly and saying, I don't get it. So, Yeah. And, and I think too, is like, I mean, and the premise of the film of Interstellar too, is that is to like ensure humanity's survival, but nobody considers the fact that like we could go extinct and just as, just as easily as any other species that has ever inhabited the planet. And, and the grand, the bigger universe is like indifferent to who goes or to who and what goes extinct. And I think humanity really struggles with the idea that, that we're that we're at risk of like the same fate of like however many animals have gone and but they but we think that we're above that and we think that we deserve to go beyond that and I question with the fact is like whether or not we do and uh, because and maybe we do maybe we don't I don't know but I think about modern humans I had this conversation uh, this is part of our conversation too is like modern humans have been around for two hundred thousand years where like predecessor human like human species have been around for like millions and like so like our time in on the planet is like a fraction of like we're not even that we're not in a geological time scale like we're not as successful as our ancestors were yeah no yeah and then and then like i don't know we haven't talked about alien or anything yet but uh like i mean that has like a there's some pretty like anti-capitalist undertones to that film and like yeah in in terms of like okay we are out in space and like who is it that's actually doing the work out there who's like who's putting the grunt work who's sitting behind the desk and it's like everybody who's complaining about inequality on the planet now is now complaining about inequality in space yep but again if it's in outer space who does it belong to and in the case (laughs) of an alien which is the film we're going to talk about next uh it belongs to the corporations uh, upon which spaceship you are currently finding yourself in. And yeah, that is a major threat of the movie, which is in my opinion, the bigger threat than the actual creature itself. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So um, yeah, man, Interstellar, it's a, uh, it's a good film. Uh, Like we were saying, if you haven't seen it, go see it. And if you have seen it, watch it again, just pop it in, watch it again and uh and try to think about something new this time something i even thought about before like i always try to like this time i was watching it too i was trying to think about like donald uh played by john lithgow and just like (laughs) what what has that character seen because he talks about like the old days which would have been a little bit more i'm going to assume like our time now you know he was a kid in say 2014 because he talks about how everyone had a gadget and people always wanted the new gadget and people would do anything to get the gadget and how it escalated then into these wars and 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 the loss of resources on yeah. earth and it's just like I, everybody trying to have it all yeah and again like i just wish I, I wish we could get like a few more minutes into that world as well and to figure out what led up to this this movie i think would be i think that would be a pretty interesting story too um but it starts then going into the dangerous territory of like Disneyfying it, where like Disney is like, now we're going to explain every millimeter of everything, and it's all going to just be a continuation of another story. And it's like, oh god, let's not do that to Interstellar, please. So maybe we shouldn't make any more movies. I don't know, but uh, but I think it could adapt to like a TV series or a comic if anyone ever got into it. But at the same time, it would have to be done right. So 
Well, um, all right. Well, uh, everybody at home, thanks for tuning in on our little conversation about Interstellar. Matthew, thank you for being here. My pleasure. It's, it's like I said earlier, it's a, it's a real pleasure to actually like, talk about this film at depth and like give it the credit it's due for all its, <laughs> for all its pitfalls and successes. It's a, it's worth it. It'll, 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 it, yeah, it'll be part of, it'll be part of the, well, I mean, at least I don't know what everybody is legacy of science fiction or like what the, what they'll, what they'll include. That definitely is included in mine. Yeah. Oh, a million percent. Yeah. No, this film yeah. has entered the, this film has entered the, uh, yeah, the, the echelon of, of science fiction films that are like a must watch list. And, uh, it's definitely worth talking about and definitely continuing to worth watch. So, uh, well, we will be back next week. Uh, we're going to talk about another, another science fiction, fiction film that's equally as happy and positive as Interstellar. <laughs> uh, it's a little do-ditty called Alien, directed by Bradley Scott, one of my personal favorite films. So uh, come on back next week and check it out. Matthew will return, and we'll see you all then. Bye. Great. Thanks. See ya. And then we can talk about completing the mission. Dr. Mann, listen to me. This is not about my life. For Cooper's life, this is about all mankind. There is a moment. You show, show.